And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Mechizula, uh, Saul's sons. Notice that his sons were killed first, and probably protecting their father, the king. You know, they die in their own battle. And Jonathan, this, this wonderful man that David and, and, and he had such a great relationship, it was one of David's few allies, well, his few best friends in the whole world was Jonathan. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Tragically, Saul's sons were affected in the judgment of God against their father. The brave and worthy Jonathan died as we might expect him to, loyally fighting for his God, his country, and his father, the king, to the very end. Their death was tragic, yet important in God's plan. In taking the logical heirs to Saul's throne, God cleared the way for David to become the next king of Israel. We know that if Jonathan had survived, he would have gladly yielded the throne to David. But the same could not be said for Saul's other sons. Now here's Pastor Rob with today's lesson. After being spared by David at En Gedi, remember David uh, or Saul had gone into one of the caves to relieve himself, and David and his men were in the recesses of the cave. And, and then once he left and David revealed himself, Saul kind of feigned to be and I think at the time he might have been sincere, but he was, he was so inconsistent. He was claiming, you know, oh, thank you, David, for sparing my life. The Lord, the Lord bless you, my child. You know, but inside, it was, just underneath, it was just on the top of the surface, these comments, these feelings. And the same thing happened again when he was in the, at Hakalah in the wilderness of Ziph. The very same thing. David has one of his men go over, and Abishai, his nephew, goes over and gets the spear and the cruise of water by Samuel, or Saul's head and leaves and gets over across the ravine, and they call out to them. And the same thing happens. There's this, these crocodile kind of tears from Saul saying, David, my son, thank you for sparing me. Now I know that you're a righteous man. Now I know that your kingdom will prevail. And it was all just a, a very surfacey feeling again because we know that after that he pursued him. He continued to pursue him. And then the ninth highlight was when Saul consults the medium, the witch at Endor. It was at this meeting, if you recall, that the witch, because of the seance that she was performing, she brought up Samuel, and God allowed it, because this was the very evening before Samuel, or excuse me, Saul and his sons would die in battle. And Saul learned something that night that he probably wished would never, he'd never have heard. 
he found out exactly what's going to happen the next day. And had he not consulted the medium, which was supposed to be driven out of the land according to the law of Moses, they were supposed to be killed. Mediums and spirit, you know, witches and those kinds of things. They were supposed to be um, stoned and rid them out of the land. And here Saul is going to the woman that he had cast out because God had turned his ear on Saul because of his rebellion. And then finally, during that time with the witch, she finally brings up Samuel, and, and Saul answered Samuel through the through the witch, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Do you see how silly this is? If God has turned his back on you, in a sense, if God has kind of cut off his communication with you, do you think he's going to give message, a message, a different message to one of his servants to give to you? No, that's not going to happen. What should I do? And then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because, here's the reason, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow... You and your sons will be with me. In other words, in the grave. You and your sons are going to be with me in the grave tomorrow, Saul. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you will be, you and your sons will be with me. Some have said that this is, uh, this is the only evidence, as far as I know, that someone might give that Saul may have gone to heaven. But I believe that Samuel, what Samuel is meaning here is that Saul and his sons would join Samuel again in the grave, not necessarily heaven. You know, it's conjecture, and we really don't know where um, Saul went. But it doesn't look very good. We know from the scriptures that there are only two places that once we die physically... We either go to Sheol, which is a a Hebrew term for hell or Hades, or we go to paradise, also known as Abraham's bosom, or we know it as heaven. There's no soul sleep. There's no intermediate place. There's no purgatory. It's nowhere to be found in the Bible. You can read Luke 16. Chapters uh, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, about the rich man and Lazarus. And there you get a really good understanding of this, uh, where people go, even in the Old Testament, when they die. Where did they go? Abraham's bosom is the same thing as paradise. It's the same thing as heaven. Where did the rich man go? He went to Hades or hell. Same thing is true today. To be absent from the body, for us believers, is to be present with the Lord. But if somebody dies unbelieving... They go to hell. They go to hell. And then finally, the very last highlight or low light of Saul's life was in this very chapter when he swore by the Lord to the lady, because the lady is very nervous because she knew that Saul had driven out all the mediums. And so Saul is here, and he is like, 
um, I, need to, I need you to bring up Samuel for me. And she's like, um, and he disguised himself, so she didn't know who he was. And she's like, well, the king has you know, told us not to do these things, and I don't want to die. So, and he's like, no, trust me. And then he sw- notice what he says in chapter 28, verse 10. He says, and Saul swore to her by the Lord, as, the Lord li- as Jehovah lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, if God says something, are you going to swear and say that he didn't say it? Because that's really what Saul did. That, that, that's like, really? God told me to, 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 to kill all the mediums, and now I'm going to say, uh, the Lord, I swear by God you know, that nothing will happen to you. Well, the Lord had already pronounced judgment on that. So why are you entertaining it? And so all of this leads us up to this last final chapter. And wouldn't you agree with me, as you look at these ten different things, it doesn't look very good for Saul. You can see his rebellion, his, his stubbornness, a very different life than what we read in David. David had his mistakes, but what was the difference between David and Saul? David repented. David cracked like an egg. David asked God to forgive him. And there were consequences that happened to David even after his sin, but Saul never did that. He never turned. He never turned. He continued and continued. And so now we get into chapter 1. It says, now the Philistines... I'm sorry, not chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 31, excuse me. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain at Mount Gilboa. Mount Gilboa is about 16 miles. If you were to look at a map of of Israel up in the Sea of Galilee, if you go southwest about 16 miles, you'll run into this Mount Gilboa where this battle had occurred and it's right there in the Jezreel Valley, the valley that we call the Valley of Armageddon. It's a, it's a perfect place for a battle. It's very flat. If you go to Israel with us next March, you'll, we, we go right through all of these things, and you can see it with your own eyes. It's really amazing. And so, verse 2, it says that the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Machishula, uh, Saul's sons. Notice that his sons were killed first and probably protecting their father, the king. You know, they die in their own battle. And Jonathan, this, this wonderful man that David and, and, and he had such a great relationship. It was one of David's few allies, well, his few best friends in the whole world was Jonathan. I mean, they had such a... And this was Saul's son. What an interesting kind of relationship, knowing that, you know, your father wants to kill your best friend. And... Jonathan helped David until there came a point where they couldn't be together anymore, and David was on the run for fear of his life. But, but here we have this, you know, uh, Jonathan also dies in battle. And the battle became very fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Now draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me or torture me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword, and he fell on it himself. And so you can understand the situation. I mean, if the Philistines got a hold of the king of Israel, they would play games with him. They would, they would torture him. They would make sport of him. And Saul didn't want that to happen, obviously. But he took matters in his own hands again, 
and he falls on the sword. <laughs> he commits suicide. This was certainly a taboo thing in the Jewish culture, and it only happened a few times in the Old Testament that somebody committed suicide. One of the most famous examples is in Judges chapter 16, verse 30, when Samson, remember, he's in the, 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 the house of, of the Philistines or in their temple, and he puts his hand on each side of the post, and the Lord comes upon him in great strength, and he pushes these pillars, and the whole thing, you know, without those two center supports, uh, the whole roof caves in. 30, you know, 3,000 Philistines died, and he died with them. And even in spite of his moral failings, you know, Samson, he does this. And yet he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith, we call it. And what does it say? It's in Hebrews 11.32. You might want to put a little uh, scripture reference off next to this verse here. Hebrews 11.32. It says, the author says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Really? Samson? This man who uh, kind of gave in to the lust of the flesh as often as he did, and yet he, God was still working in his life. Is it, it, we looked at that. It's not the kind of life you want to mimic. But there were elements of Samson's life that God was involved in very clearly. But I bring this up because there have been positions that denominations have taken. And I remember when I was young, I heard that if a person committed suicide, that's an automatic ticket to hell. Did any of you hear that? We've all heard that, right? Denominations have taken that stance that when a person commits suicide, it's an automatic sentence to hell, but I don't believe that that's necessarily the true. And again, it's, it's a conjecture, and you don't have to believe me. And while it may be true that the majority or perhaps the vast majority of people who have committed suicide, they do so because of some great sin in their life that's unrepented of, and then they commit suicide. And in that case, yes, they, they don't go to heaven because of their sin, right? Because of their sin issue. But there are always different circumstances. We know in the, in the Ten Commandments it says, you shall not murder. Exodus twenty thirteen. you shall not murder. Now, murder is... I mean, you could t technically say you're murdering yourself, but it's really speaking of other people. And again, I'm not trying to build a doctrine here at all. I'm just saying that when you murder somebody, you're murdering somebody else. And, and certainly you don't want to, um, I'm not condoning, you know, killing yourself <laughs> by, any, by any means. But there are people who have killed themselves in the Bible, you know, specifically and, and have gone to hell, too. And, and, and Saul could have been one of those. We certainly know that Judas in the New Testament was one of those who did. But I've known and I've heard of men of God who are strong Christians. Who went through great suffering. And they ended their own life because of the torment and the pain. And I believe these men are in heaven. There are two individuals on my mind right now. I know they were men of God. And this is a hard thing to talk about because, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to build anything, any doctrine here. I'm just saying that God is much bigger. But we should never encourage or condone such a thing and always steer people away from it. And where the Bible is quiet about the, this issue, we need to be careful and not be dogmatic either, right? So what is the bottom line here? 
The bottom line is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. God speaking to the children of Israel before they crossed over into the promised land. What did he say to them? He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. There is the the commandment, right? It's a wonderful commandment. Choose life. Choose life. Don't choose death. Don't choose death. I remember there was a, a person who came to me, and they were having a really tough time. And I think they were looking for some support to end their life. And I would never want to tell them, you know, um, you know, God does not condone this sort of thing at all, at all. And we certainly don't want to give the okay or license to do that because that, that, that's, not the, that's not the solution. It's better to let, wait on the Lord and let him do what he's going to do. And it's easy. It, it's, it's easy for us to say if you're, you know, there's one gentleman that I'm thinking of. The medication, the insurance ran out, and his medication was exceptionally necessary. Otherwise, he was in literally mortal agony. And he ended his life. You know, and um, it's a horrible thing. But I believe that man is in glory. I believe that man is in glory. Again, not to build a doctrine about it. But, you know, it's just so, it's so interesting how we can come, you know, we see an instance like this where Saul commits suicide. Now, in his case, he probably did go to hell. <laughs> Don't know for sure, but it's very possible, very probable. Don't know. That's for the Lord to decide. But the main thing is to choose life. Always choose life. Don't choose death. Whatever problem you're going through, you don't need to end it. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is your help, your strong tower. Run into him. Be patient. Wait upon him. Number verse 5, it says, And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on a sword and died with him. You understand that for Saul to die and his armor bearer to be alive would be a, a real big problem because the armor bearer was supposed to be the one who would take the hit before Saul would, right? So for him to live would be a very bad place. They would probably put him to death because why, why are you alive and your master is dead? He should have stood in front of the spear or whatever he had to do. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And that's exactly what Saul or what Samuel had told him, what he had prophesied when Saul had brought him up in the seance, right? He told him exactly what was going to happen. And behold, it came to pass exactly as, as it happened. And this more likely, when it says all of his men died together the same day, more than likely it was just the men who were closest to Saul or those in his own personal regiment that were all around him because we know that Abner and others survived this battle. And so it wasn't all the men of Israel but those around Saul. So verse 7, it says, And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, notice they, they forsook the cities and they fled. 
out of fear. And the Philistines came and they dwelt in those cities. And so it happened the next day that when the Philistines came out to strip the slain, because the battlefield was just filled with uh, men who had died. And so what they would do in typically every battle, they'd come out and take the swords and anything that was useful to them and take it off of them and use it for their own good. And so... So what happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and they sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. You know, it's interesting to note that David, remember, had cut off the head of Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and now the Philistines cut off Saul's head, who was the leader of Israel. It's kind of interesting how the tables turn here. And then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth, these female deities of, of um, um, fertility goddesses. And they fastened, notice, his body to the wall of Bethshan. And... You might want to put in your margin of your Bible 1 Chronicles 10. 1 Chronicles 10 actually is pretty much verbatim to what we are reading here. But there's a few details that are left out. Because notice, they, they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth, and then they fasten his body and his son's bodies to the wall of Bethshan. And 1 Chronicles pretty much tells the same uh, event, but it doesn't mention this part about the bodies being pinned to the wall. And it was just an omission. It's not a really big deal. But I think it's really interesting that at the end of Chronicles 10, in verse 13 and 14, it gives really there a understanding of why Saul's life ended. And it tells us very clearly there, First Chronicles 10, 13, and 14. These are two verses you might want to put a, a star by or whatever. But it says, Saul died, notice, for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. The wages of sin is death, isn't it? That's why he died, because of his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against Jehovah, because, notice, specifically, he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord, and therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. David, the son of Jesse. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, and all the valiant men arose and traveled all night, because Jabesh-Gilead, remembers about 10 or 15 miles to the west of the Jordan River, to the east, I'm sorry, of the Jordan River, so they would cross the river and then go up, up north a little bit, and they would get into Bethshan, which is one of ten cities called the Decapolis. They were Roman colonies, Roman cities. And Bethshan, it's also called Scythopolis, it was the only city, Bethshan, was the only city that was on the west side of the Jordan River. All the other nine cities were on the other side of the Jordan River and the land you would call, you know, Jordan, Syria, and that area. And so... All the valiant men rose and they traveled all night. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall at Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and they burned them there.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.